Welcome to the Kintsugi Heroes podcast, where we share inspirational stories of everyday people going through different challenges and how they overcome them. Please be aware that the story you're about to hear may have moments of deeply felt emotions and personal experiences. If anything you hear has a triggering effect, please reach out to someone who can help keep you safe. If you love this conversation, we'd love you to like and share it with your friends so we can continue to share more inspiration and hope to as many people as possible. Now, listen up for our next hero story. This episode with Josie Parata is beautiful. Why? Because throughout all of her telling her story, she just had this smile and she radiated this joy and gratitude at life. You know, being a mother of four children and going through domestic violence and then hearing her account of how she got out of that and then took steps to reclaim her own power and move forward in her life was just really inspirational, really heartwarming. And what she's done since then with regards to giving back to others through her pain is really awesome. You know, the organisation she's founded to help people in the community and help other women who are suffering from domestic violence as well. She's a leader. She's a light. And she's a beautiful person. It's a lovely story. And I know you're going to enjoy it. This is Josie Parata. Hello, here we are. It is another episode of Kintsugi Heroes, and I'm here with Josie Parata today. How are you, Josie? I'm great. Thank you. Yeah, awesome. Wonderful to hear. And I'm really grateful and excited that you're here. I mean, I'm really looking forward to your story. So first of all, thank you for, you know, putting your hand up to come along and share your story. It's not always easy for people to do that. And yet the impact it makes is really huge. So I just want to honour you for that and thank you for being here. Oh, no, my pleasure. I just, if one person catches something that helps them along the way, then tick, tick, we're good. Yeah, beautiful. And I'm sure there will, that that's exactly what will happen. Well, how about we get started? This is about you. This is your story. Take us back to the beginning. Where does your story begin? And take us through the journey. Oof, okay, where, where to begin? Well, first of all, I suppose I'll, I'll just start off with the fact that I am, I am a single mum of four children, uh, between 26 and 16. I live in Sydney, Australia. I am the founder and CEO of a crisis organisation. I am an apostle to a faith gathering, so which is a Christian service that uh, we lean toward miracle signs and wonders. That's my thing. Um, but look, my life, my life has a huge span of many traumas in it. Um, I would say, well, people would say, unfortunately, but um, as we go in this interview now, you'll start to see that actually I am actually grateful for the traumas that I have encountered because of who it's created me to be in today's um, life. And so walking through, you know, traumas in life and the many that I have had to face and contend with and walk through, um, yeah, there's there's a, 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 a huge amount of uh, a list of them, but, you know, because for the sake of the time limit and, and where we're going in this context, um, I'll, I'll, I'll do a quick little, you know, um, scenarios of, of what, but then lean toward one specific in this interview because I've learned as the journeys and all the traumas have, have, have that I've been confronted with um, have have taken me to spaces of learning the same keys uh, when I face something that's going to help me out the other side. But I, I feel to kind of very quickly just sort of say some of the journeys only because it could really allow somebody that's in one of these journeys to go wait that's me if if you know if she can I can sort of thing so so long story short basically um starting out I escaped I was born in New Zealand escaped domestic violence out of my childhood brought up in a home of domestic violence uh then came to Australia at the age of 18 found myself unfortunately in a same same marriage domestic violence and verbal and um control, verbal abuse and control, 
Uh, I, I escaped that marriage, pregnant with my fourth child on the way, ended up in a woman's refuge. I was homeless for a period. Uh, I've also walked in a stage four breast cancer journey where I was told that I would not survive, that I would have to, that I should be writing my will and spending time with my children because there was nothing that oncology could do for me to get me through. And, but it was basically live the, the, this next year the best you can. Um, and then I currently now sit in a zone of metastasy brain cancer. So, um, but again, you'll see as we go into this interview where we are, but that's my title. Apparently I have, you know, brain cancer, but, um, you know, whatever, all good. So, but for the context of this interview and just those little bits of stuff that I have walked through, I've recognized that as I've gone through scenarios, it's the same keys to go through each and every trauma that I have had to face. And so leaning toward, in this interview, I feel to lean toward the scenario of escaping domestic violence um, because I know, unfortunately, we are in a space where I know that happens and it's there and it's not acknowledged in some places. So there you go. That's literally who I am starting out with, but get ready for where we're about to go. <laughs> For the sake of, you know, time and allowing you the space to go into the space you want to go, I won't comment on what you've just said. Thank you for being really open, you know, and sharing that. Take us through where you want to, where you want to go now in terms of this yeah. adversity event or challenge. Sure, sure. Um, I suppose what I want to lean and to start off with was the first comment of me being brought up in a home of domestic violence. Um, and so does domestic violence impact children? hundred <laughs> percent it impacts children. And I really didn't recognize or understand this until I found myself in my own situation with my own children. And, um, but I also have learned now looking back how it affected me as a child is when I found myself again in the same scenario that I, that my mum was in, um, I unfortunately had a space in my mind where I thought when it started, when the verbal abuse and the control started and the narratives around what I could and can't do and who I can hang with and blah, 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 all these controls that to be honest, because I'd seen it in my upbringing, I actually thought this was normal. And I thought that this is every marriage and um, I'm to submit to my husband and, you know, all that. Um, and so when we had blow-up moments in my marriage because that was kind of a consistent thing that would often happen and I understand now there is what's called a cycle of violence and there are things where you're in a, you know, you're walking on eggshells, you're in a honeymoon stage. After the blow-up, there's normally a bit of a, a stage. It's a honeymoon stage. It's like. I'm sorry, didn't mean to do that. That will never happen again. And, and then, you know, and it's the, it's a beautiful stage. And so unfortunately, I recognized over the years that I would always look forward to the honeymoon stage, but I didn't know it was called a honeymoon stage until I actually got out. But that was the stage that overrode my thinking because it was always a great stage. You know, it was the meal, like, let's go out, but, you know, it was the pampers, it was the gifts, it was the whatever. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, it will never happen again. And then, and then it was like a beautiful, fun, whatever space and you know I felt loved and felt wanted but then you know as time whatever went on here we go now we're on the eggshells I'm walking around I don't want to you know cause of whatever and, 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 and allow an explosion to happen and so when I recognized what this all was and I learned about it I I remember it in my childhood and so yes did it affect children does it affect children yes it does it, it, it affected me as a young child to think that when I became an adult and I saw it, this is normal. It is not normal. And then when I had my own children, it was very much in a space of, okay, here comes the explosion. I could see it about to happen. And there was a ascending to the bedroom, go to the bedroom, just, just go, go. And I was putting away, but of course they could hear everything and they could, you know, hear the thumps, hear the whatevers. And so, but I thought, Again, oh, they're out of sight, out of mind. So, you know, they're, they're good, but in actual fact, they weren't. And unfortunately, because I'm going to go to a raw moment, 
um, my eldest son at the time, who was only eight years old, um, so I, I had uh, I was I had three children at the end of this the wake up call and recognizing that actually what I was sitting in was not normal. Um, I we had a scenario where unfortunately relationship with with dad and my eldest was not the greatest. Uh, and he was consistently told he was hopeless, he was fat, he was ugly, he was not going to make it in life. So the words that were spoken over his life was, you know, hammering him to a place of no confidence and just a, a retrieval, and he, uh, like, retreating, and he was not great around adults, he was shy, all that. But but what happened in my, my changing of the tide moment was um, unfortunate, but now I look at it and go, gosh, thank God that that did happen. But um Every time a blow-up would happen, if it was between him and his dad, I'd say, just go to your room, go to your room, and I'd send him away, and then I'd go back and I'd chat with him and say, look, it's not you, don't, it's not you, and I'd speak encouragement and whatever over him. But this one moment, I did not realise how much the comments and the, the, the stuff that was going on in his life was impacting him, that this moment I stepped into the bedroom, um, he had a bunk bed, and um, I actually found him. Uh, so the bunk had these knobs at the end of the, each corner. And on the right, this side here coming in um, to the room, he had managed to put a belt around the top of that knob and he was he put it around his neck and he was facing out. So once he'd come around his neck and he and it was here, I, I mean, I, I, I tried to lift him to pull it over the knob and I couldn't get it and I called out to his father and, made some comment that it was all attention and he wasn't coming. But I praise God now, looking back, that somehow, some way, I, I got a massive strength and I pushed him up and he, he dropped down and, and he just looked up at me with these little eyes and he just said, Mummy, I just want to go back to God because I had started going to church and so my kids were learning because that was like my retreat, was going into a church on a Sunday. It allowed me to put the kids in kids' church and I could just sit at the back. And so, but... Also, they were learning about some stuff and, and he just said, I just want to go back to God, you know, and uh, that, that was my wake up call that if I didn't get out of the space and I was pregnant with my fourth child, that I was in fear of what, you know, what that child might have to walk through as well. So I praise God that the church I was in, I, I opened up because I have to say that Oh, it's, it can be embarrassing. We can be full of pride and we don't want to tell people what's going on behind closed doors. And so I, I, I did open up to, uh, some pastors at the church. And one thing I have to say too that I'm grateful now all these years later, um, is, is hearing that they actually, you know, didn't say, well, you know, wife, submit to your husband and, you know, do whatever, blah, blah, blah. But they basically said, you need to go down and speak to these guys down here. And it was a local refuge in my area and so I was referred into this refuge and it was my saving grace it was our space of safety because the pride did step in and I did kind of go oh refuge because I'd seen these movies and seen you know bunk beds and people all over the place and thought I can't I don't want to go there and but anyway I thought I'm going to go meet them and I met them and they showed us this amazing you know uh unit uh room and we had our own space and I thought, right, I, I can do this because, see, I'm here in Australia. I'm from New Zealand and all my family were in New Zealand, uh, but I had come from it. So I didn't want to, I didn't feel I'm going to run back to that because I need to run away from it. So I went into the refuge and honestly, it was in that space that I really found refuge. It was a space of safety. It was a space of waking up to the situation and recognizing that Actually, what we were sitting in was not okay. My, my son, you know, was able to open up his eyes and just get some respite in that space because we weren't now walking on eggshells. And um, I now work in the field of domestic violence, but I, I, I and I've learned and I've heard that, to be honest, people in a, these kind of trauma spaces trying to break free from abuse and, and domestic violence. So, I mean, like, we, I, I used to think domestic violence is violence only, but now the umbrella of domestic violence actually covers, you know, um, financial control, verbal, emotional abuse, you know, and I've recognised over the years too now that actually the, the clients that I have come into my space that are coming out of physical and those that are coming out of verbal and emotional 
those clients there, the verbal and emotional, are so much harder to move forward than it is for those that are coming out of the physical. I know that sounds a bit warped, but the bruises fade, they go away. Um, but when they are emotionally and, you know, um, being controlled, it's now a, a knowing, it's now a learnt behaviour that we've got to deal with and, and break out of. So anyway, I found myself in that refuge and it was in that space. I remember one night I had my head, we had a, a, a double bed or queen base. Um, and it was me and a, one of my kids. And then I had a single bed, um, a bunk bed on top. And then I had a porticot. And so, um, the kids were all asleep this one night and I remembered I was crying into my pillow and I was, you know, because I'm a Christian now. So I'm like, just going, God, like, is this my lot? Is this, you know, here am I, I'm pregnant with my fourth. Like, is this me? Is like, what have I got? Like, um, and honestly, as clear as day, it was a clear, clear voice. And all I heard, I feel like in my heart and my spirit was that, um, no, I've got your back, but do everything that you need to do now to move forward because I will use you in what the future looks like. And I was like, okay, just do everything that I can do. And I have to say, you know, the refuge was absolute amazing space. It really, it got us out of that not so great scenario, but it really did help us to, um, uh, to breathe. It helped us to see that there was a way forward. It helped us to learn that actually what we were sitting in was not okay. Uh, but I have to say there was, uh, cause I'm now sitting in the title of single mum. Um, and I'm homeless because we're at a refuge. We've got nowhere to live. We've got no furniture, no nothing. But, um, I, I, I started to see gaps specifically in my community on the northern beaches as to what was there for single parents to get, um, supported. What I started to see very clearly, unfortunately, was services that gave handouts, not hand ups. I mean, I had single mums telling me, go here, go there, you'll get X, Y, Z, you know, just say this, Jace, just say that, blah, blah, blah. But I had this conviction that I wanted to, I wanted to get up and out of our situation. I did not want to just be in a victim and poverty mentality that relied on the help of everybody else. And so, I'm grateful that I saw all that because then it was in that space that I believe um, that what needed to be created was a service that came in ha- like came in partnership with these ones that were doing X, Y, Z. But I created a service at the time. It was called SMS Lighthouse, so single mum support. Um, and it was specifically for doing the things that other services were not doing. And I, I was big on hand ups, not handouts. And we were about equipping mums and children to move forward. And, um, because I believe that specifically mums, we, you know, if, if we sit in a victim and poverty mentality, what we sit in, what we talk about, what we think about, it actually does go down to our kids. And I didn't want, because I was learning to teach my kids that, you know, yep, basically crap happens, <laughs> stuff happens, but we're going to build a bridge. And we're going to get over it and we're going to live life well. And that's sort of what SMS Lighthouse was formatted as. And, uh, because I, I, I think too, um, when you're in any type of crisis, you get what I believe. I don't even know if it's a, I don't know if it's a counseling term, whatever, but I, I, I had what I call crisis mentality and there was a fogginess that came upon me. And, you know, I'm quite learned. I, I kind of know stuff. But it was like, because I was in this trauma, the, the fog came over and I, I struggled in times to see how I could move forward. I struggled in seeing pathways. And so that's what I saw in my space. And I thought, right, I remember thinking, I wish I had one person that would just sit with me because I got given bundles of documents, fill these out for them, Centrelink, housing, court, blah, blah, blah. And I, and, and I, but my mind was in a fog that I was like, how do I do this? And so because I didn't get that support, that's what we are at Lighthouse. We are, oh, yeah, that's what we are. We are very much about, okay, let's sit beside you. We will do the writing. We will do that. We'll ask the questions. You just answer. And so we do all the documentation and, you know, because we want to bring them out of the fogginess because I know what that feels like. And, I, and I've recognized now in all these scenarios, there is a, a traumatic fogginess in 
in lots of scenarios. It's not just domestic violence because of all the other things I've walked through that a fogginess comes because we're so blinded to what we've been diagnosed with, to what we can see in our faces as to what the circumstance is, that if we just, if this is a key that I want to give, that while we're in a traumatic situation, even though the stuff is going on here, we don't lift our heads up and start to see the other side of the trauma, then we will be stuck in the space and it's quite hard to come out. But we need to look above and, and recognize that actually I'm not the first one in this journey. Probably somebody else has done it before me and probably they've come through the other side. So if someone else can come out the other side, then so can I. Thank you so much, Josie. I've got a few questions. I'd love mm. to, if you could take us back to your domestic violence, I guess the situation. Mm. Like yes. when, it, when it's, tell me like when, when it started, from when it started through to when you left, like what did that yep. look like? What was your daily life? How did you feel? And then mm-hmm. yeah, just take me through that, please, yep. if that's okay. So, yeah, I'm embarrassed to say that actually, Looking back, it started literally from our first get together. Um, and yeah, there, there was just feelings of we, we hung out. I met, so, um, I'm in Sydney, Northern Beaches and, um, uh, I was 22 years old. I think it was about, um, and I was in that party scene going out clubbing and everything and, um, and my husband actually was a bouncer at one of the local clubs. And so, uh, on that first meeting, we, after the night, well, the club closed, you know, we, we hung out a bit and there was just comments that were made that made me feel a little bit like, um, I don't know, like there was name calling. Um, and, but I kind of brushed it. Um, there was just some controls around, so we went, we, we did go back to, cause there was a, a gathering, a get together at, at him and his flatmates place. So there was a few of us all went back, but there was just things around. Um, I think I picked up cause he was into bodybuilding and stuff. So I picked up these bodybuilding magazines and I was flicking through them and it was a, an aggressive grab and don't you touch them. And, and, you know, it was quite, quite upset at the fact that I picked up and anyway. And so, do you know, do you think that that would have been my, Oh, don't like this guy, but no. Um, it, 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 so, so there was these things then, but I kind of just, I don't know, I, I pushed over them. And then as we started then dating, there was just control signs around money where, uh, whenever we'd go somewhere, um, there was always a, he would step back and I would pay for everything, but, um, yeah, I don't know. But I think because I, I now know looking back that I grew up at, I was the eldest of four children. And so I mothered, I think, my children. When my, my parents were in the space all the time, I mothered my children, uh, my, 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 my siblings. And, um, and so I think when there was the money thing that would always happen and I would pay for everything that it was like, Oh, no, no, no. It's okay. You know, like I, I can do this. And, and I, I think now looking back, I, I, I had what I now recognize as being, you know, the rescuer because I rescued my siblings away from all the stuff all the time. And, um, and I wanted to make sure everything was okay and I would smooth things over. So anytime, you know, he would say, and if I just agreed, there would be a blow up. And so it would, I'd learned to kind of just whatever, whatever was to be was to be. And there was the moments where I did stand up to some stuff and yeah, there was just, uh, verbal repercussions. Um, and so I think I just learned then in our relationship to actually walk on eggshells and be very mindful of what I said, what I did. But again, see, my thinking was so warped that I thought this was just normal, that this is what relationships were like. Um, I definitely know different now, but, um, so yeah, so right from the get go, um, and, and then, you know, I found myself going into church. I was brought up in a church, uh, context, um, and came away in my teenage years 
and then uh, went back into church uh, after we'd had our first child. And I think, too, because when I fell pregnant with my first child and we had him, of course, there was always a hope that, um, well, he's the dad, you know, so I, I hope things get better. And then before you, I knew it, I was, you know, number two child, number three child, and things hadn't got better. And then on, I think, this number two child, he'd come into the church and see, because unfortunately there was some gambling issues as well. And so when he'd come into the church, things changed a bit. So I'm like, right, here it is. It is. Here it is. It's good. And there was a moment, but it was a very small moment. And then he stopped coming. And then unfortunately the traits came back of the gambling and the verbal stuff and the whatevers. And, um, and it just got worse. And then before you knew it, I was pregnant with my fourth. And um, it was only, like I said, because I thought it was normal uh, that I could walk, walk this through, I could put my kids aside and keep them safe, whatever, that I just thought that um, when that situation happened with my son, that was my wake-up call. That's what got me out. And as horrible as that moment was, I'm so grateful that unfortunately it came to that because, yeah, moving forward, I mean, I would hope now, looking back, that with my relationship with God, um, that I may have had, you know, my eyes opened up. I think I was on that journey and maybe I probably would have eventually got it. But, um, yeah, for the sake of the kids, we got out sooner. And that fourth child is, it's funny, like she's got a whole different demeanor because I left, went into the refuge with her pregnant. And so she's never had, you know, the, the, she's never had to live under it. So she's, her, 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 I don't know. She just carries herself way differently because I don't think she's experienced any of the stuff. So yeah, it's interesting. We don't think that this stuff affects our children, but it really does. Sorry for the interruption. This is Ian Westmoreland, the founder of Kintsugi Heroes. And thank you for listening to this story from one of our amazing heroes. Our mission is for these stories to provide hope and inspiration to people experiencing life challenges and to also educate the broader community on how best to provide support. If you would like to help us to continue to produce more hero stories and cover more adversity themes, we would welcome all donations. These can be made by our website, kintsukiheroes.com.au. The donate function is at the bottom of the homepage. We'd also welcome any feedback. You can email me direct using ian at kintsukiheroes.com. Now let's get back to the story. Um, that is so interesting, Josie, and and what you've just said then about your fourth child, your daughter, sort of is a great segue into my next my, the questions that I've got around. What was it like for your kids? Obviously, you've spoken about your eldest son, which was the the turning point. How old were the others, and did they display anything over the years? you know, that was concerning, maybe not at the time because you had no idea it was there was something wrong. But, you know, what mm. was going on for them? And yeah. talk me through that and, and the journey for mm. them, mm. if that's okay. Mm. So so the the eldest was eight at the time. Then there's a five year gap to the next daughter. And then the other one was um was two. And so, so she was still little. Um, they were both little. The, the two year old, uh, not so much. Um, because, you know, he, he was, but, but in saying that we've had to deal with, um, he's, so he's now 18. Um, and we, we, what's, what's risen up is there is some, um, anger, anger, anger stuff that's come up. And we've often had to, not often with, with, with school and teachers and stuff. We've had to deal with that through counselling um, because, see, the thing is, um, I, as I came out, great that we were out, but I had a bit of an attitude at the same time that, you know what, he's always going to be the father. I don't want to disconnect if it means that, um, you know, it's just a visit because we hadn't come into any agreements of uh, custody or anything like that. Uh but there was some visits and things, you know, sports and he came to sports and that. And so there was this relationship moving forward, uh, even though we weren't living under the same roof. And there were moments, there were blow up moments, even being out at a dinner, uh, at a sports thing, whatever there was, there was blow up. So they still saw stuff. 
And as they got older, um, and many times I would have to say, we're done, we're done, we're done, we're out. And so we, we would take, um, obviously I would take them to a space, uh, in my car so that when and if we could just get in the car and go. And, uh, yeah, eventually, you know, it's got to a point where specifically when they were younger, where I was able to say, I'm, I'm out. And, um, but unfortunately moving forward, there's been this real, uh, relationship between them that he he's very big on monetary provision and as kids get older and they want the xyz's they've worked out how to you know pull from this one to get that thing and whatever and so for so many years it's been you know just don't even ask because you know but I don't know if it's guilt that he carries because it's like literally whatever they want they get financially but it's it's really I think taking the kids to a space of, you know, they are financially spoiled, um, but they know that there's no there's no relationship, unfortunately. There's no, oh, this is my dad, and, you know, and there's no no genuine relationship. It's all about he's Santa, he, you know, whatever I, whatever I need, dad, I need shoes, and they have to be this, and they have to be, you know, and it's like, all right, the money's been transferred, and so, um, I, I really dislike seeing that because, unfortunately, what I've seen specifically in my second daughter's um, world is that she's in a bit of a space of reliant. I mean, she's 21 now and she's, you know, jobs off and on, but it's she made a comment a few months ago about um, I, I we talked about employment and, and, and that, and, and she said, but why? Like, I'll just call him. He'll send it, you know, as like, oh, gosh, like, so has it still affected? It is still affecting uh, the behaviours, but unfortunately now, I, you know, I have to take my hands off because adult, 21, and then 18-year-old, you know, but, and I see, I see, um, yeah, the 18-year-old, the, the, the you know, has had some anger stuff go on and in some of the counselling sessions it was, it was the anger of not having a father, you know, and then unfortunately too, the impact of it all with regard to the older son, um, you know, there's a five-year difference between him and number two, is that when um, he grew up kind of being, you know, the male figure in their lives, and there was many times then in his teenage years with the younger ones, I'd have to say, no, 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 it's, it's fine. I've got it. I, I will discipline. I will, you know, thank you, but you're, you're not dad, you know. Like, so he, I think he took on a lot of responsibility. I think he blamed himself for many years that it was because of me we left. So I had to keep reiterating that uh, it was not at all because of you. I'm, I'm grateful because of you that you helped me to see and open up my eyes. Um, yeah, but but it's interesting that, uh, yeah, the three of them specifically have, you know, had this ongoing thing the the eldest and him they do not talk they are not connected at all um and then the, the fourth one there is a you know obviously she knows he's dad and stuff but it's a different relationship again but again there's that money thing that happens too um but yeah just the demeanor of each of them and their attitudes and stuff I, definitely there's been some impacts and i i think it's definitely got a lot to do with what they maybe saw growing up um, and specifically even after in, in catch ups, you know, like, and some of them were like an hour to an hour and a half kind of a meal. And then by the end of it, it'd be like, okay, guys, we're going, we're going, you know, because it became just verbally abusive in places and definitely affects the kids. And, and like I said, you know, even moving forward now, uh, as young adults, I, I mean, I consistently will say, um, you know, that's not okay. This is, you know, but, I, but again, when they're getting handed anything that they're asking for, it's so hard as a mum watching on, you know, because we're not equipping, especially when I'm about equipping and not enabling. Um, yeah, so, and how do you disconnect? How do you fully disconnect them from somebody now that they're adults? It's it's very difficult. Yeah, it, it, it's their journey, not yours, in terms of their relationship with their dad, right? Mm, totally, totally. And, and look, I didn't want to be, you know, you're never, ever going to see because I just, I don't know. I, I mean, maybe that would have been better. I, I'm not sure. Um, Did you have the choice to do that? Do you think that if you said that, that he wouldn't have wanted to see them? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that I don't know if it would be about 
not wanting to, um, but I'm, you know, I think because I stepped in the field of uh, domestic violence, I got, you know, I, I, knowledge on legal, I, I, I did an advanced diploma in all what, you know, what was to do with this stuff. I, I know the legal system and, and, and I think his fear even around trying to go for some kind of custody, even though, like, I get it, like, he'd have rights to it. Um, he made a comment one day and said, well, um, I'll never take you down the court road because you probably know the best lawyers, the best whatevers anyway, and I would lose. So I kind of, you know, as bad as the sounds, I sort of was like, yeah, like, you know, so we never had a court battle. Um, and I probably could have said, actually, we're out, you know, your behaviors. I don't want this around the kids. And I probably could have. Um, but I also have a thing in my space where I, when we walk through things, rather than dwell and regret, let's just not go there because what can I do to fix what's already happened? So, yeah, it's more mm-hmm. about how do we move forward and, and you know, all I can keep doing is keeping my narrative to the kids in a space of, like, guys, you know, that behaviour, that this, whatever, mm-hmm. and sometimes I think they think it's a game because they can get what they want. But And I've told, I've even actually, to be honest, I've even had a conversation with the dad and said, please stop. Because, you know, you're not helping the situation, like you just giving the money whenever, blah, blah, blah. It's not, you know, so I'm not the one going, get all the money you can get. It's like, please stop. You are just really not helping them. And then, you know, even recently, because 10 grand was given to the 21-year-old to go to Dubai two weeks ago. And um, I said, this is like, she should have saved, she should, you know, whatever. And then now he's saying, that's it, you know, I'm done. I can't do this all the time. But it's like, please, yes, stop. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hard when they become adults now. So, mm-hmm. yeah. How how did your eldest son navigate you the path after you know the incident occurred and you left and went to the refuge? Like, what was the impact on him, and how did he navigate that as a young boy? Did did it hinder him? Did it, yeah. No, it actually allowed him to you know find a voice, um, and I think. I think what happened was that we not only had this amazing space that was our space and they had an amazing playground and all that at this block that we were in, um, it, it just allowed him just, yeah, it just, he came out of the shy little boy that he was and, and he, this joy became, you know, he became joyful and he became, he just came, I think it was the, and I mean, he wouldn't know that it was that, but I think it was the no longer having to walk around on eggshells be careful what you say, be careful what you do, be careful, be careful, be careful. And whereas now, um, yeah, he, 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 I, I just remember seeing this happy little boy that um, even the teachers had made a comment that because um, obviously I'd kept them in the loop and they knew what was happening and where we were at. Um, they said a couple of months later, like, we have a whole different little child in our classroom now. Um, and, yeah, I, I, it was such a, yeah, I, I just it really brought him to a space of definite safety and uh, he found himself and uh, he began to shine just in, you know, rugby. Because one of the big things, we, you know, we, we put our kids into rugby league at a very young age, like at three he was playing rugby league and he was a really good little player, but that was the one thing that he was told all the time was you're hopeless, you're never going to make it, you, you know, you, like, nobody wants you, you're a dumb player, whatever. And on a, on a footy day, you know, he might get four or five tries, but he'd get told that, you know, you missed that one kid when you didn't tackle him. And, you know, so, so now that wasn't happening. And he was stepping in a, in a, in a game he loved. And, you know, through his teenage years, he went on to play, you know, with Harold Matz and Ishley Ball for Manly, um, rugby league and, you know, went over to New Zealand and was playing in some development squads for the New Zealand Warriors. And, you know, so, so he just loved the game because he now recognized that you know he could just be the best that he could be without being criticized and he'd learned through because the other great thing was that through the refuge they had counseling and they had um you know some qualified people that understood what these kids are breaking out of and so he was taught on how to face some stuff that is some sand play and things like that and was able to talk about how he was feeling and so I'm so grateful for those kind of spaces that were set up uh, because it really did help him, um, you know, come through. That's for sure. So, yeah, he's 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 in a good space. And you know, look, we all have you know mountains to climb. We're ups and downs. We're human. 
Uh, but yeah, he really thrived and, and came out of that situation. Um, other than I think just the guilt at times for him being the reason why we left, but I had to keep reiterating that he wasn't the reason. He was actually the doorway that allowed me to see the, the way forward. So, um, yeah, yeah. That's so, I'm so pleased to hear that. Um, tell me what were the key things that helped get you through? once you got to the refuge? Yeah, um, I, I think, uh, well, well, I know, you know, and I, I, I am a Christian, but, I, you know, I hate religion because <laughs> uh, I'm about relationship. But I personally, I really believe that, you know, having a relationship with the Jesus that I know was just my, it was my hook that was my hope to move forward and um in the space i i really recognized that i felt comforted that you know i was in this space and somehow some way we were going to get through um i had been you know like i said i i i i got this real realization that actually you know this journey is at the time crappy and whatever it was that this was a pathway that i was to take and but i was going to take note along the way on how to break how to move forward because I really wanted to come alongside other women and children who may be stuck in the same situation that, that I was in. Um, I, I was, uh, yeah, really able to just, I think, just recognise that even though stuff is not great, even though we, we have situations that are not the best scenarios, that a hundred percent there are there are even if the road is very narrow there is a way forward and um i've learned uh one of the specific scriptures in all of my journeys that have really helped me to move forward is the um the, you know faith faith is the substance of things hoped for but the evidence of things unseen and i learned in these journeys that you know i i if i if i if i saw the thing before i got the thing so whatever it is you're sitting in that's not so great, see the opposite to what you want to see. As I saw that and visualized it, that gave me hope that somehow I was going to get through. As I spoke it, proclaimed it and confessed it, what happened in that, that was, that was, you know, and it sounds weird when you're confessing the opposite to what you're sitting in. When I was diagnosed that I was going to die with breast cancer and I was not going to survive, and every day I'm brushing my teeth, doing my hair in the mirror. I'm going, Josie, you will live and not die. You will live and not die. You know, when I first started doing that, it was a, a weird, it was weird because the doctors are saying, you know, it's gone through your bloodstream, you're riddled, it's traveling through your lungs. It's, you know, there's nothing we can do. We'll give you chemo. It'll prolong a little bit, but it's not going to heal you. And, and so I, I, I did grab a hold of a scripture, um, and that it was that I would live and not die. And so. I, I took that on and I, I, so I saw myself cancer free. I saw myself out of the refuge. I saw myself, you know, um, in a situation that I was living in a home with my kids and we were happy and we were, you know, we were free. We were not having to walk on eggshells anymore. I confessed it. We're going to have an amazing life. We're going to have amazing house. We're going to, you know, we can live and not walk on eggshells. And, you know, so I saw it. I confessed it. And then my next thing was I believed in my heart. And I think to get yourself to believe in your heart, when you see it and you confess it, eventually I believe when we confess something, because initially it feels weird, but when we confess, 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 we keep confessing, I, I believe it's here. It's in our head and it sounds weird. But as we continue to confess, I believe it goes from our head and it hits our heart. And eventually we believe it because we have told ourselves many, many times, we've got this, we're going to get through this. And in that journey, because there is actually a scripture too, it says, you know, believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and it shall be done. And so I was like, righto, confess with my mouth. So that was it. It was seeing, believing, confessing, and then seeing the thing. And, you know, and then always before I knew it, the tide, the tide would start to turn, the reports would start to, you know, become even greater and better than what I was even hoping. You know, we came out of the refuge. I said to my kids, because, you know, faith is seeing, believing and confessing. I said, right, we, we need a house because we're homeless. Let's, we, we, let's write a list 
what are we going to have? What are we going to believe for? And I, on my first list, I think we had, you know, four bedroom house, uh, great neighbors, uh, in this area on the northern beaches. And so it was like three things on it. And, um, and every day we'd say, come on guys. And so we'd say, thank you, God, for our four bedroom house. Thank you, Jesus, for our, you know, our, our, our whatever in, in this area. And then before we knew it, the refuge said, Oh, we've got a property we're going to move you into. It's a, you know, residential property, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, cool. Where is it? And we went up. It's the area we confessed. It was a four bedroom and the neighbors were amazing. It had everything on the list. And then over the years, see what this is what happens is that when we start to see breakthroughs happen, um, over the years as we've had to move many other times again, cause I'm under, I was under this program of, you know, uh, transitional housing coming out of domestic violence. Uh, we had to move a few times and each time we wrote a list. And I gotta say, our list grew every time we moved. There was, you know, double garage, dishwasher, fence, great neighbors with kids, blah, blah, blah. The last one, you know, it had, I had water views. I had everything. <laughs> and I swear every time, tick, 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 tick. Why? Because we've seen it. We've confessed it. We've believed it. And so I, I, I also have to say to anybody that in any kind of traumatic situations, whatever it is, you know, it's real. It's real. The trauma stuff is real. But, you know, as we start to confess, it really allows us to take our eyes off the circumstance and hope for something over the hill. And it just, I don't know, it just brought us to a space of really seeing that proclaiming, confessing, believing is for real. And it does make a way. And look, one step at a time. Just take a step at a time. I mean, I say to my clients now, because out of the refuge, I got given, I believe by God, a strategy on how to set up this crisis center, helping mums and children escape. Um, I, I, I see, say to my mums, they come in, okay, wallow. You can wallow. You can tell me all your whatever, whatever, the pity party, do your pity party. But when we're going to walk and work in a case management plan to move forward, we're done. No more pity parties because I get it, been there, done it, and we're going to look at the positives and how we can move forward. And, uh, look, it is just a space where um, I've seen breakthrough in many, many families' lives. And because of what we've done at Lighthouse and, and you know, being real at the same time, um, and I found it very hard at the beginning to receive accolades and uh, awards from, from members of parliament and, you know, uh, Rotary clubs and whatever, but I recognized that somebody said to me in taking the, the rewards and the trophies and the whatevers, um, it actually will allow, you know, doors to open up for the organization. So receive it and do what you do. And so, yeah, look, I never ever thought being in that refuge back when I was pregnant with my fourth in a not so great situation. My son had just tried to take his life at eight years old that that today I'd be sitting in a place, you know, mentoring and helping other families to move forward and out of their situation. And, you know, look, I, I know that, again, we're not void of trials, but let's build the bridge. Let's take one step at a time. Um, but also I want to say, you know, whatever it is you're sitting in, please swallow your pride. Please, please reach out. Please, you know, go to a space where there could be some professional services that can actually help you to move forward in the stuff because in doing that you'll find somebody that understands your situation and I guarantee you they will have seen someone that's come through the other side but swallow the pride and reach out and ask for the help that you need because the pathways are 100% there. Wow thank you so much Josie I, I've loved everything that you've said um I know that so many women will feel, you know, so fueled and, and grateful for that message you know, and hearing what you've been through and what you've done, but also what you explained at the end, you know, which applies to anybody going through any kind of trauma. And it's so, so true. Anything. Uh, you know, what we focus on expands. If we look down inside our current circumstance, it expands. It becomes our whole world and it takes over things. And I love the way that you taught your kids to see the opposite. Uh, what a what a gift. Mm. What an absolute gift. And I love that the example that you've given and shown how it's worked and look at where you are today. So I just want to thank you for what you've done and uh, I, I love it. I love everything and I'm 
yeah, just really grateful for you sharing the story so we can help others, inspire others, yeah. and show them what's possible as well as how to get through these traumatic times. 100%. I will add, because people may ask questions about the cancer journey, I miraculously received uh, a year after that journey, 2012, for the breast. I received reports that they don't know how or where or whatever, but there is not one tumour in my body. The doctors were shocked and I'm a stat in their books and so they've kept an eye on me over the years. Uh, it was only in 19 that I had headaches and unfortunately there is a tumour that popped up in the back of my head. They're calling it a metastasis from my breast. But I'm like, wait, wait, but I had no tumours in my breast left, so how does it metastasize? But whatever. Um, look, I, the crazy thing is, though, for those who get faith, um, that, you know, I, 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 we are a target, unfortunately, in the spiritual realm of, you know, if anyone's sitting in that space as well. But God, because uh, when I got diagnosed with the breast cancer was on the same day I got given the keys to the women's department to open up the women's department. And I went, yep, nah, I'm still doing this thing. You know, t- attack my breast, all good. I'm dealing with nurturing mothers. So I think this is a spiritual attack. The breast has been attacked. And then in 19, I opened up a department uh, helping the men to come out of addictions and homelessness. And then on the same day, I got the council keys to that building. I get brain cancer. I'm like, wait, what? what's this? What's this? And then I felt in my spirit that actually because the enemies attack the head because I'm going for the men who are the head of the household. Uh, so I'm not in fear of this stuff, but, you know, the doctors are happy at what they're seeing. It's moving. It's doing what it's doing. This thing's not taking me out. <laughs> <laughs> you are a warrioress, Darcy, and well done. Go you. So, so inspirational. Thank you for your time today. I, I'm, yeah, thank you for everything. Thanks for having me. Honestly, amazing program, amazing space to help others. Yeah, it is. You're welcome. Have a wonderful, wonderful day. Thank you, everything. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Kintsugi Heroes. Please like and share the show to your friends so we can get this out to even more people. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, please reach out using the contact details below. And join us next week for our next Heroes story. Until then, keep being you and remember that we are all heroes in our own unique way. Only when it's broken Only when you're broken Only when you're broken